Welcome in to Locked on Knicks, a win streak. I almost forgot what this felt like, Gavin. The Knicks win 131 to 115 over the Sacramento Kings on the road. What are we going to talk about in this here episode? A career high for Julius Randle, 46 points as he rained holy fire down from three-point range. Another just average night at the office for R.J. Barrett, a cool 29, and Emmanuel quickly fully reclaiming his swagger over the last couple of games. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team Every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform or whether you're checking us out on YouTube and seeing our set for a second day in a row, smiling faces. What a what a time to be alive. Uh, I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. We are very tired. Because it's late and we're recording this in the middle of the night. But we are also very excited, if you can't tell. Because the Knicks won 131 to 115 over the Sacramento Kings. An absolutely insane second half comeback in this one, Gavin. Uh, the Knicks had a total of 83 points in the second half. Uh, after the game on the, the MSG uh, postgame show, I saw that that was the most that they've had in a half period since I believe 1988, probably one of the old uh, bomb squad teams back then uh, that was just raining threes in the, in the early, you know, aughts of three point uh, exceptionalism, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then the, it was the most they had in a second half since 1969, I believe. And that was led by Julius Randall, a career high 46 points, 18 to 31 shooting also a career high Eight three-pointers on 16 attempts, 10 boards, two assists. Uh, I mean, there was a number of great performances, mostly Julius, R.J. Barrett, and Emmanuel Quickly, which we mentioned in the open. But, uh, I, you know, where do you want to say – I mean, do we want to just talk about the the fact that the Knicks were just an absolute dynamic force of nature in this second half after, like, a pretty rocky first half? Or do you want to jump right into it with Julius Randle? Uh, let's let's start with the former. The Knicks had 29 points with six minutes and 16 seconds left in the second quarter. They finished with 131. So they score, let's some quick math here, 101 points in 30 minutes. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's uh, 33 points every 10 minutes or so. That's just, uh, just great offense. And it helps, uh, to your point, when Julius Randle is just completely unstoppable, the second half, just felt like watching the 2017 Warriors against any team where it was like every shot that everyone took was just going to go in. And you got to a point where you were kind of surprised when anyone missed a shot. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of this performance from Julius Randall, right? Because it's a lot of the shots he's been taking 
all year. And like, to some extent, like some of the looks that we've been complaining about all season, granted, like there were some, some really nice drives through the basket mixed in, like where he just went through DeMontis Sabonis, even in the first half when he was sort of keeping the Knicks within tangential striking distance, like he had this dirty reverse spin move on Trey Lyles uh, that led to a big dunk. But a lot of the threes, like they're the same looks all year that we've been kind of grossed out by. And like when, when he said those two for nine nights and he missed all of them, they, they just all went in tonight. So I don't know what should I make of that, Alex? Should I say like, Oh great. Like we got last year's Julius back. Everything's good. Or should I say he had a hot night and who knows how replicable it is given that he hasn't been able to do this all season. I mean, I guess it's like, it almost harkens back to last season, right? Because that was the same questions we were asking almost on a nightly basis last year, especially early on. We're like, Oh, this is fun. But you know, when the other shoe drops, this is going to suck. And then the other shoe just never dropped last year. And this year, you know, both shoes dropped uh, pretty quickly. The, the, the shoe and, never rose this year. Yeah, the shoe never rose. The shoe stayed on the ground this year. Um, and, you know, so I, I guess it's just like if he can reclaim even 80% of what he had last year, which, I, you know, I would say that if I was going to put a percentage on it so far, you know, it's probably he's probably been about 60% of what he was last year this year. You know, so if you just – split the difference, add that extra 20% in there. I think we're looking at a player that, you know, could be still a, a huge impact player. And, you know, it, most of what it comes down to, the mid-range shot is great, but he's shown an ability to make up for a lack of mid-range shot this year by getting inside, drawing fouls, which he didn't really do much of in this game. Um, not that he needed to. This was almost like, this is very reminiscent of like the, uh, 60 points or, or 50 points or whatever it was on all jumpers that Mello had back in the day where it was just like, why drive to the hoop when I could just shoot from anywhere on the floor and make it, <laughs> you know, uh, and not even need free throws to, to get what I need to get. Um, so it was a very, you know, pure scoring performance. But like, even without the mid-range shots, you know, if he could just reclaim that three-point shot and start shooting, I think we've said this before, like 36, 37% he's totally a big impact player again still, you know, on offense. And, and that's a huge difference maker for the Knicks because then, you know, you could start having him do those pull-up threes again. You could start running him in pick and pop scenarios with RJ Barrett, who's becoming more adept at finding guys that way. Um, you know, the, the world is really the Knicks oyster. If, if Julius can find somewhere between tonight and where he's been all season, you know, and just, kind of find that that happy middle ground where he can still be a really productive player that is a better three-point shooter than like the sub 30 percent guy that he's been for most of this year and you know i i hope maybe today is one of those kind of springboard moments where just like the rest of this team he could sort of start showing that for the rest of the season because i think that with the emphasis on the young players that now seems to finally be taking hold uh, where a lot of these guys are getting playing time. I think it's going to be really important to see how Julius fits with these guys because uh, short of something drastic happening, I, I think Julius is going to be a part of this team next year and probably for at least another year of his extension, unless the Knicks really feel an urgency to trade him or something. Um, in which case, you know, it's it's good to see how, you know, he could sort of ease back into the prime of his career just as RJ Barrett is sort of starting to take off and have his own journey as a, a potential star player. And you have guys like Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grimes earlier this season, you know, all kind of starting to make their own journeys here of, of becoming high level NBA players. Yeah. I, I think my only, it's not even a counterpoint, but my only point would be, it's something I say a lot. Um, Randall 
for five of the seven years of his NBA career, he is a, he's a 30% or less three point shooter. Like we still, the overwhelming data on Julius Randle is like that. What happened tonight is an anomaly and it's not normal. And the overwhelming data is what happened last season is abnormal. And the only thing that would change that is like either that he made just definitive improvements as a player last summer. And for some reason, just because of everything going on this year, it's not showing up or you got to conclude that last year was a fluke. And I think to your point, it's why it's so important that you put him in these lineups that are just more conducive to his success. And you see like, all right, in a new context, can this guy be the best version of himself? Because I say it all the time. He's, he's outrageously talented. Like there just aren't a lot of six foot eight. Every time I say this, I think I add another inch to his height, but what is he? Six, eight, six, nine guys. I think he's six, nine. <laughs> sure. Six, nine. Uh, yeah. He's going to be seven, five for me by the end of the season, but 260 pounds, uh, pure muscle who can like Euro through the lane, pass someone who could drain fadeaway jumpers who are capable of going eight for 16 from three in any NBA game ever anomaly or not. It's not normal for someone that big to be able to shoot like that, even for one night in his life. And Randall did it for a full season. Like there's a reason you gave him that money. There's a reason he was an all NBA guy. Um, It's just, can you put him in a context where he's consistently as close to that as possible? And I think the best way to do that to your point is to, playing with some of these younger guys where where the offense with IQ with RJ, the ball is really moving and Randall, I mean, not necessarily in this game, but in general is getting more spot up looks from three and he has chances to go one-on-one against the spread floor. Like we we were just getting into this um, before we started the show and we'll talk about it in a second after we take a break. Um, But the idea of playing Randall at the five and RJ Barrett at the four, when Julius Randall is an open floor, like he can, he can play with this kind of swagger and and he's such an emotionally based player. Like you, you saw like the play where he fouled Sabonis, where he was just sort of like trying to get in his jersey for about a minute there. Like even though it was, it was kind of a stupid foul and it was over aggressive, that's the energy you want out of Julius. And it's it's almost like, and this sounds like a negative, but I think in some ways it's, it's kind of cool of him. Like he almost plays basketball like a little kid. Like when things are going well, he's he's full born, flying around, and when things aren't going well, he's complaining to the ref and letting his guy streak back and get a dunk on the other. And that could be a negative. But if the vibes are good, like they were last year, and I think like they are when you put in with young guys who who have uh, more interesting skill sets than the older guys on the sticks roster and play with more speed and pace, he becomes a really fun, really interesting player. So this is all a long-winded way of saying, I don't know what's going to happen with Julius Randle. You want to take a bet on what's going to happen with Julius Randle? You should go to betonline.net. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props. The way the next five coaches going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information you so desire. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Alex, I'll throw that right over to you. Uh, any any final thoughts on Julius Randle? You want to get into that lineup where it was RJ at the four, Randle at the five. I think my final thought on Randall is just he needs to like do the Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant thing and come up with perceived slights, except for, I guess, maybe do more of a Bobby Boucher and just imagine that every guy that he's lining up across from every night is Demondis Sabonis because something about that guy. And also, I mean, we're probably in for a treat because they're going to be facing Dallas in the next game. And that's another team that Randall just loves to cook, although they don't have Porzingis anymore. So. Uh, we'll we'll see. I guess we'll figure out if that one's more about uh, Doncic or Porzingis being his tackle and fuel. 
but something will happen. You know, we'll see what happens when he's back in his in his home state and his home city. But yeah, just he just needs to imagine everybody's Demonis Sabonis and everything will be peachy for him uh, going forward in his career. Uh, but yeah, that lineup. I mean, I, the Knicks wound up sort of out of necessity closing with the lineup. Uh, Mitchell Robinson started the game, picked up two really quick fouls, and then exited and stayed out of the game. Apparently, was suffering from a non-COVID illness. Uh, so he, after just two quick minutes, was out of the game and, and never returned. Uh, Jericho Sims only played 11 minutes and was sort of in foul trouble at times. Uh, Taj Gibson performed really admirably against Sabonis in 26 minutes. Like, you want to see Sims play, but, you know, just like sort of when Joel Embiid was getting the better of, you know, the two younger centers, it was kind of good to have that setting presence out there. But you know, again, sort of out of necessity, Tibbs went with a, a pretty modern, cool lineup again, you know, which was he was running sort of the younger guy lineup, um, which he ran with Sims at the center for a bit. But, you know, had this sort of rotating cast of guys, but that was basically centered around quickly at the point guard. And then it was either uh, Miles McBride or Evan Fournier at the shooting guard. And then either Cam Reddish or Alec Burks at the small forward, or however you want to say, you know, Fournier and Reddish's, or sorry, Fournier and Burks's positions were, you know, calibrated or whatever. But unfortunately, we'll get to it in a minute. But Reddish had to uh, exit with an injury. Um, and then RJ Barrett at the four and Julius Randle at the five. And it was an awesome look. You know, it's it's cool for the guy that wouldn't even play Obi Toppin and Julius Randle together for basically this whole season to now see this lineup, you know, it reminds me a lot of like back in 12, 13, when, you know, Mike Woodson accidentally stumbled onto like one of the greatest lineup permutations in Nick's history with mellow at the four. And then stubbornly the next season wanted to do everything he could to avoid it. I get the feeling we're probably going to run into the same thing next year. If Tibbs is still around, uh, but maybe if there is a new head coach next year, they're looking at this and saying, Hey, this is pretty cool. Like with RJ Barrett at the four and Julius Randle at the five, this team can just run like crazy. And every single person on the floor can shoot a three and against, you know, a team like, like what Sacramento was running out in this game with Sabonis, mostly at the five uh, down the stretch of this game, Julius Randle held up his own perfectly. And honestly, it was probably the best defensive option against Sabonis because Randall is like the one guy that is perfectly content to just stand there with his hands up and just use his big body to kind of get in the way of a guy like Sabonis who just goes to like one move, then another move, then another move, then another move when he's under the hoop. And like, I think that it was, it was sort of the perfect scenario for the Knicks in this game, you know, against two, a, a team in the Kings that also likes to run. Uh, so they sort of fought fire with fire and the Knicks fire burned much hotter in this game and they they really just destroyed the kings if it's not abundantly obvious by the stats we brought up earlier about how how much they scored in this game like they they killed the kings and it was i think in large part due to that lineup because of of just how versatile and how different it was i mean i think it's just it's a big thing for the knicks to go from all season long they've had two guys on the floor who can't shoot in that lineup tonight everyone could shoot right um, i mean maybe maybe deuce mcbride doesn't quite command that respect yet but we I, I think we know that he's going to be a plus shooter in the NBA. And that's, that's what made that group so fun. And I think it's what helped RJ wind up with such an efficient game, 11 for 21, three for six from three, four for four from the line, 29 points, eight rebounds, six assists, three steals. 
And, and to me, the most exciting part about RJ Barrett right now is, is just the consistency that we're getting on a night to night basis, because that's, that's what a superstar is in the NBA, right? Because there, there's so many, so many guys in the league that can go off for a 25 point game here or there, like on the right night, on the right circumstances with the right amount of touches, Bryn Forbes can, can drop 30 on you. Um, but what defines the best guys in the NBA is that regardless of the defense, regardless of the three games and four nights, like regardless of like their health, uh, regardless of their three pointer falling, they can, they can do it over and over and over again. And again, RJ's not quite there yet, but this was his sixth straight 20 point game. It's the first time in his career he's done that. And it just felt routine tonight. Like I, like, you, you know, Alex and people who watch consistently know I'm like pathological about taking notes. Like I'll, I'll write down like every, every single shot someone makes in a game. And, and normally, like, I'd be going through, like, a million things for RJ. I didn't think there was one thing that was all that spectacular in this game. And that's almost the beauty of it, right? Like, it was just, it was all easy. It was a transition layup, spot up three, spot up three, quick little Euro step in the lane for, for a banker, mid-range jumper. It was, it was normal. And it's, it's, it's a weird thing, right? When you, when you watch someone for three years and all of a sudden it's like when someone has puberty and all of a sudden they're a completely different person. This is like RJ Barrett's NBA puberty. And it's happened so subtly, like, obviously we're noticing it, but you're almost not noticing it. Like the gradual ascent from someone who was extremely inconsistent to someone who was just flat out uh, one of the better players in the NBA right now. Yeah. I think the thing that stood out to me uh, in this, in this puberty journey (laughs) that uh, RJ's going through was I think I think the thing that I don't know I, I zeroed in on in this game was his ability to just use pure craft to create space um you know and just like not have anything you know like not have any space from what it looked like and then all of a sudden just find that little sliver of daylight and get that layup up there and you know he hit so many like that where it's just like the amount of English that he's putting on the ball now is insane. And it, 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 it's like so different from his rookie season. And, you know, even last year where he kind of was just like a bull in a China shop, you know, he would just kind of drive in without a plan and didn't have the footwork, didn't have the finesse to finish things off. And also wasn't going to try to like do a John Morant and jump, you know, 15 feet in the air and attempt to dunk on somebody. Um, You know, so it was just sort of like, run into a guy with your shoulder and then either get called for an offensive foul or just not get a foul call because you're not respected in the league yet and toss up some junk, you know, and that, that was sort of his version of finishing through his first couple of years. Now it's like, he always comes in with a plan. He always is like, all right, well, I see this guy is sort of shading to my, you know, right a little bit and I'm coming in with my right hand. So I'll just take a quick little Euro step, boom, left-handed layup or like, this, uh, you know, I'm coming in with my strong hand and now I'm going to kind of like go up and finish with a reverse, like just under the hoop so that that guy that's closing in from the other side doesn't have enough time to get there. And we even saw like Sabonis at one point reacted to one of his attempts, but RJ did such a good job of just sort of like getting in there and getting his hand almost right up to the square, you know, to get the ball in there, which of course is what you're supposed to do, but it's harder, you know, to do than it looks. And Sabonis reacted a little late and RJ got a, a goaltending call on that. So it's the little things, you know, it's, it, it, and it's all, like you said, it's adding up into routine stuff happening for him. Uh, and I think that that's going to be one of the best uh, things to watch through the rest of this year is just getting used to the fact that RJ Barrett's going to go out there and most nights than not right now with the way that he's playing, he's going to score 25 points and, you know, potentially up to his highest 30. 
and he's going to do it, you know, whether his three-point shot is falling or not, um, because the, the most important part of his game now to me and the most consistent part of it is the fact that he's generating mismatches, he's abusing those mismatches, and when he gets into the lane, no matter who's there waiting for him, he has something in the bag to get a clean layup off and something to potentially draw a foul on too. So it's it's just been a, a really nice transformation for him, and I'm, I'm super happy with what he's doing. And I hope he gets more opportunities against Force to close the season too because I think that would be a huge thing for him in his career if he can get some spot minutes at the four because he's definitely strong enough to handle it and he's definitely agile enough to completely toast anybody at the four right now. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, he, he, he's elite short area explosiveness. Like that, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was either late third quarter, early fourth quarter, the one little Euro step he had on Sabonis. And, and, I, and I mean little, like it was just like, it wasn't like a big loping one you like you'd see managing Obi or D Wade do back in the day. It was rapid fire, and he just and Sabonis was there to block the shot, but he just froze him and got it up way too quick. And for a guy whose athleticism, I mean, it may, maybe less so you, Alex, but I'll say for sure, I've questioned at points. There, there are explosive elements to his game that are just like just pretty rare in the NBA, and they're they're just more subtle than what you see from to your point of John Morant, but. If, if not as effective, like pretty close to it. He's, he's just beating dudes right now. It doesn't really matter who the defender is. He's, he's feels somewhat un- unguardable and it just kind of on, if he's making the shots on, on a nightly basis or not, like against the Suns, he wasn't early tonight. He wasn't, but then once he was, it was, there wasn't really an answer to it, especially when he was playing the four and the floor was super duper spread. Part of the reason the floor was so spread was Emmanuel quickly. was back to his old tricks uh 31 minutes seven of 10 from the field three for five from three 10 of 11 from the foul line 27 points six rebounds four assists dare i say at the best two game stretch of emmanuel quickly's career one of the better six game runs he's ever been on maybe the best six game run he's ever been on and it is it is a sight for sore eyes it is uh water for someone being dehydrated to death that got really dark it's like two in the morning um but <laughs> anyways um he He's just amazing. Um, uh, we, I've talked about it a lot with RJ lately, right? Like him, him getting into the full bag and showing all the flashes we've seen over a career, like the stuff you would see in a two minute RJ highlight tape. He's just showing a, a, over a course of a full game right now. And that that's what I thought of quickly tonight. It was a little bit of everything, right? He, he had the, the pump fake into the long floater. Uh, he put Josh Jackson in booty jail and drew a foul. Uh, he had the double pump buzzer beater inside the elbow which is which is that mid-range element that he just didn't have a year ago he's hitting step back threes in Sabonis's eye he, he got a step on De'Aaron Fox on one play and just paused and Fox completely froze behind him and just sped into the lane for a layup he had that sick swooping double pump late in the fourth quarter that felt like an exclamation mark it was it was everything we've come to love about Emmanuel quickly but the biggest things for me over the last few games are that he's getting to the line with an insane amount of consistency and the rebounding, right? That's three straight games now where I think he's either had six or eight rebounds. Um, So he's averaging something like seven over his last three games, but that activity level and the force he's playing with and similar to RJ for a guy who we've said a million times, like he's, he's awesome. He's fun, but does he have the athleticism to actually be a star in the league? He's played with just, he just looks like a different human being, like the level of force and competitiveness and sheer confidence for, for a guy who frankly looked broken about a month ago. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if it's like 
some some Mike's magic stuff going on in the locker room, but he he seems like a, a new Emmanuel quickly, and it's the guy that I think we all thought he was going to become this year. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think um, I, I got to give props to honestly Johnny Bryant, who maybe will be the head coach for the Knicks next year. Who knows? Uh, but you know, he's the guy that that works so closely with these guards, and it just seems like at almost the same time things are well i guess I, that's unfair to say to rj he's been playing well for like damn near three months now um but like you know it, it, as this season has gone along he really has gotten it seems like buy-in from rj and from quickly on just how good they can be and maybe we can even attribute some of that to to quentin grimes's success as well but like you know, Brian is like the guards coach and the guards and, you know, wings in the case of RJ, but guy with guard skills are playing fantastic. You know, quickly to your point, you know, just did a little bit of everything. And, and we, <laughs> I'll say this for the millionth time, you know, the swing thing for him is not going to be the shooting. I, I think that we always knew that the shooting was going to come back. It did start to get concerning after a little bit this year to see him shooting, more like 30 low 30s you know where it's like uh like he really needs to shoot more like high 30s you know to be the best player that he can be but you always sort of had this feeling like yeah but like jump shooters can shoot you know like he's he's gonna figure it out and the shot will come back but the thing that we never knew if it was gonna be a thing was the getting inside all the time and generating contact and finding new ways to generate contact now that his like you know you mentioned booty jail but his his pet thing has sort of gone away, you know, the, the draw, the, you know, ticky tack stuff on the perimeter, the league has to varying degrees, uh, you know, made an effort to, you know, make that go away this year. And that definitely affected quickly early in the season. And now he's sort of just being like, well, all right, I did put on some weight and some muscle this past off season. Like, I guess now's the time. Let's just start getting all the way to the hoop and, and finishing it off there. And, you know, not, relying on these sort of you know honestly they are what they were they were cheap fouls you know that's that's what he he, but he studied the book you know he was trying to do the things that that the guys that were successful in the nba were doing and guys have had to learn not to do that this year and it's not just a thing that quickly is learning through like trey young is learning through it james harden had to learn through it as well like and those guys took a while to find their grooves too and i think quickly is finally finding his by just being like all right it's time to get to the hoop all the time his layup package is getting insane. You know, that that swooping one that you mentioned was like crazy stuff to me, man. I watched that and I was like, yo, who is this? Like, <laughs> this is like Dr. J or something, like just pulling out this stuff where he's, you know, getting under a guy and then just kind of like fully extending his hand for this nice little like banker underhanded off the backboard. Just, you know, that's not stuff that you see every day and, and quickly starting to show it. And similar to RJ, you know, I, you mentioned athleticism, but both those guys don't really have the mega hops, the mega speed, anything like that. They, but they do have that quick start-stop athleticism. They have clearly some strength to them. You know, quickly has always had broad shoulders, even if he was kind of skinny. You know, I, I think that they're sort of learning their way through as, as just crafty guile guards rather than you know guys that are gonna ever overpower or just straight up out athleticism somebody um but gavin i i do think uh we should probably unfortunately talk about the the uh one negative in this game which was uh cam reddish not for anything he did on the court but he did 
take a nasty spill in the fourth quarter, I believe. And it was, I mean, it was a good play by him. He was hustling back on defense and trying to get up a late contest on a transition layup and then just caught an edge. I, I don't I forget who he was chasing down on that on that break, but caught an edge as he was sort of coming down and just like came down real bad on his upper body, really. It seemed like it seemed like at first he maybe smacked his face on the court, uh, which maybe he did because his first inclination was to reach for his forehead. But uh, it also looked like he sort of came down awkwardly on his arm and it was it was affecting, uh, you know, his his shoulder, it seemed like as he was getting up. And apparently there were reports that he was seen with a sling after the game. Now, it could just be precautionary. You never know. I mean, they they usually will will err on the side of caution there and say, hey, until we can get. No, I assume they probably x-rayed him in the building. Maybe they're like, oh, let's get an MRI on that just to make sure there's no structural damage or whatever and see if it's just a sprain or whatnot. But still, really stunk to see that happen to him because it really seemed like Reddish was starting to find his groove. I think he was probably going to close this game again and probably end up with 20-plus minutes again, even if the the scoring wasn't there. I thought he was still offering a lot of good energy on both ends of the floor. Uh, and it would be a real shame if – if there was anything, I mean, there's only so many games left this year. It, it would really stink if he was just finally starting to find his niche and find some playing time and now has to miss maybe, you know, some time towards the end of the season here. And and the Knicks miss more of that window to see him play in this, his third year of his rookie deal going into his final year of his contract last year sort of just underscores more that, it took so long for Tibbs to start playing these kids. And now we might get robbed of some more time to see Reddish here. Yeah. I mean, outside of RJ, I think Grimes and Reddish are probably the two players I want to watch most the rest of the season. So it'd be a real bummer if, if they're both out. Uh, and, and, and to your point, I mean, the dude, he's getting a chance to find rhythm for the first time. Isn't, isn't that what we talked about last night? Like, like he just needs to play 25 to 30 minutes a game and, and play, eight, nine minutes in a row when he's out there that, that he needs that more than anything else. And and the Knicks need that to know like whether they should be trying to lock this guy up or whether they should be trying to trade him again, or, or whether they should be letting him play out his last year and, and see, see what he deserves. But I think there was a world where Reddish had the kind of finish that the Knicks were going to give him an extension and maybe, maybe not the extension that Reddish wants and maybe not the extension that the Knicks were imagining when he was playing pretty poorly uh, but something in the middle that can be both sides fairly happy and maybe a couple years down the road would look like an incredible deal for the Knicks. Maybe not. Maybe that's optimistic. Who, who's to say? But I, I said it last night. I'll say it again. The dude shows flashes that outside of R.J. Barrett and maybe Emmanuel quickly, the last two games, like no one, no, no Nick under 25 shows. And we just you, you need a larger sample size to know how much of that is real. And it would be absolutely killer to the Knicks because that's that that's all you're looking for for the rest of the season significant sample sizes to make judgment calls and reddish is is probably one of the two or three most important examples of that yeah for sure and uh you know I I I hope everything's good with him I hope Mitch's illness is good too it's nothing severe uh maybe it's just a stomach bug or something because they I mean he was able to suit up and he was able to go out there Mitch uh was but just kind of it seemed like something was off. He picked up two really quick fouls on Sabonis that just were, he didn't look like he was playing the way that he's been playing the last few games, which are honestly, you want to talk about best stretches of a player's career. I mean, Mitch probably just had two of his 
best, you know, back-to-back games of his career, the last two games prior to this too. So hopefully he's all good. But yeah, you would hate to see, you know, a world where potentially the Knicks, you know, Tibbs finally leans into, all right, fine, I'll, I'll play the young players. I'll try some new stuff, I guess. And, and then they all get hurt <laughs> down the stretch uh, in freak, you know, injury scenarios like the one that, that Cam ran into in this game. So uh, wishing him all the best. Uh, Gavin, I'm trying to think of any more to talk about. I know this was a really fun game, a huge comeback, but I feel like we've covered most of the bases here. Do you have anything else that was really uh, sticking in your craw from this game, good or bad? Um, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to wrap up on that. Just, just that I think it's incredible given how horrific the 18 minute, the first 18 minutes of this game are for the Knicks that we, we just don't have to talk about it because they, they, they did the one thing possible to erase it. And that was Julius Randle just coming out and scoring 30 points in the second half. So, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks Julius. Thanks Knicks. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll just throw out two last, two last thoughts from the game. Sabonis got ejected and like almost hit the ref. Like I could, it looked like he was just gesticulating, you know, like kind of like being like, ah, oh, get out of here. But then I was like, I don't know. He's kind of coming in with a little more force and then sort of pulled back at the last second, maybe because he realized that his gesticulating was going to hit the ref. But like, he's probably going to get a fine, man. That was, that was crazy. I, I, I didn't know that dude was that like, you know, much of a firecracker when he got pissed about something. It was just like, he was, you know, annoyed about getting in foul trouble or whatever, but like, happens sometimes man like just deal with it i don't know i mean we say that and julius randall got tossed the other day too and it was very detrimental so yeah and and i think julius and sabonis just make each other see red for whatever reason yeah oh they hate each other i i think it's just because all the constant comparisons and one guy probably thinks he's way better than the other and you know whatever especially last year i feel like that really got ratcheted up to 11 so yeah i guess his blood was boiling today um and then the other thing is all right i'm gonna ask your opinion on this do you think that Clyde is calling Dante DiVincenzo Debo or Devo? I, I think it's Devo. Devo. I guess it's Devo. I thought you were saying Debo for a minute, and I was like, "What? where the hell is this coming from? But even Devo. Big, big 49ers like, fan. I guess, yeah, big Debo Samuel guy. But it just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, <laughs> Clyde, where's <laughs> – this name isn't Dante Devoncenzo or whatever it's it's Devincenzo like I I just didn't get Devo I love Clyde when he comes up with weird <laughs> nicknames that make no sense I think it's probably just because he doesn't want to say like six syllables every time so he's just like well this guy's name is Devo now <laughs> just like even with like Mitchell Robinson it's like he just calls him Rob sometimes it's like yeah it's probably the first time in Mitch's life he's ever been called Rob <laughs> yeah but yeah I think uh you know what when you're a Hall of Famer as a player and a broadcaster you get to do that kind of stuff. You get to make the it's rules. A good, it's a good life for Clyde. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you're a Knicks podcaster recording a pod at damn near 2.30 in the morning, you get to make your own rules too. And with that, I'm going to say we're chopping this one off right here. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back with some more podcasts this week, of course. But uh, for, for, <laughs> for Gavin, I'm Alex. It's late at night. Happy West Coast trip. Although I think the worst of it's over. Uh, thanks for rocking with us. We'll be back with some more pods this week. Talk to you all soon. Peace out. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life and the Chime Checking Account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. 
A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com slash Goals24. That's Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply.